far over there. Okay, so Exodus chapter 20. I mean, if you're getting one of those Bibles, it is on page 35. It's the second book of the Bible. All right, so let us read. Our passage is very, very short today, but very powerful, as we will see. Uh, Let's give our attention to God's word. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have told us what your wish list is, what you desire, what you have commanded, and the only way that we could really be happy anyway. So Lord, I pray that as we read this, as we study this, as we look at this, Lord, please empower me by your Holy Spirit. Give me courage that I would not make them my idol. Lord, that you would rescue all of us from idol worship. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Would it surprise you this morning if I told you that I am a functional polytheist? Now, kids, you don't know that word. It means many gods. It means worshiping many gods. It should surprise you that I am functionally an idol worshiper. I hope that's shocking to you. On my first challenge as I studied this passage this week, I came under that conviction. As I studied the first commandment and the full extent of what it means and the implications of it, that I was guilty of breaking this. So my first challenge is, and we will begin, is convincing you too that you, like I, am a functional polytheist, that you are an idol worshiper, that in your actual practice, we don't just worship one true God, but actually many, that we would come under that conviction. So that's our challenge. It goes far beyond just bowing down to golden statues. Of course, it includes that, but it begins in the heart, though it rarely stays there. It begins there. Fundamentally, idolatry is a disorder or misordered affections. We, a big focus this morning will be love. Love is, if you don't see that word in this passage, it is very central, as we'll see from the rest of Scripture. Love to the first commandment. We sometimes love things we shouldn't love. They're just bad. You just shouldn't love them at all, right? We love things we shouldn't love. But then there are good things that we love too much. We make them ultimate things. And that too is idolatry, whether we're loving something that we shouldn't love at all or something good. Tim Keller, uh, speaking of his book, Counterfeit God, said this, an idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity. Anything more fundamental. Idols are usually good things turned into ultimate things. Good things turned into ultimate things. If you look on page seven, you'll see that line. Why do we need the first commandment? Here's three good reasons. One, we are all idol worshipers. Hopefully, you'll be convinced in a few moments. Second, God has a right to be jealous for our love. And then finally, we are the bride of Christ. So let's talk about that one. We are all idol worshipers. So verse three again says, you shall have no other gods before me. In, in order to understand this commandment, we need to remember the greatest commandment. Kids, you know the greatest commandment? Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Jesus was actually quoting Deuteronomy 6. Let's, let me read Deuteronomy 6 for you. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We call that monotheism, right? He is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
Now that first verse of that, hear O Lord, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, Lord is one, is called the Shema. Shema, that's um, a Jewish prayer that's the most famous of all prayers. They still pray that today, the Shema, that, they, that uh, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. They, um, so then let, let's, let me tell you about Matthew 22. So Jesus is asked, what commandment is the greatest? Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is essentially the first commandment. Right? If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you have obeyed the first commandment. Then he goes on. He says, this is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and all the prophets. It's pretty cool. Can you see the connection between those? That to say you shall have no other gods before me is to say, is the same thing as saying you must love me with everything, right? Because as soon as we love something else more, now we've become an idol worship. We've broken the first commandment. So hopefully you see that connection. The connection to marriage, and we're going to talk a lot about marriage today. Not so much for your marriage's sake, but for your relationship with God's sake. Because you understand marriage much better on an earthly level, and somehow we get all confused when we get to talking about God. Let me explain. You have all heard this. Marriage vows. You've all been to weddings. They say, do you, groom, take this bride to be your lawfully wedded wife? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, sickness and health, to love and to cherish, listen to these three words, forsaking all others. That's the title of our sermon today, to love and to cherish, forsaking all others. That means old boyfriends, cut off. Old girlfriends, any future relationship with any, anyone of the opposite sex, yeah, no, it's over, right? And, we're, and no, one, no one bulks at this or surprised by this, of course, you're getting married. This is a glorious thing. So long as you both shall live. The core of the first commandment is being set apart for God. No old boyfriends, no old girlfriends. Or you're being set apart for God. We understand this in marriage, but we struggle to understand it with God. God wants to, that we love him alone, worship him alone. A great litmus test for this, if you don't know that word, just a diagnostic test, a way to know, is when you're thinking about nothing, what do you daydream about? This is just applicable for you kids as adults. When you have nothing to think about, what do you daydream about? That's very telling. Those are often the things that we want more than anything else. Those are our gods. That's what you're daydreaming about. I mean, imagine you're sitting with your wife and you're staring off into la-la land smiling. And she's like, what are you thinking about? Oh, it's this new cute girl at work. Can you imagine I mean, you can't even imagine that, right? Like right beside your wife and you say that. How do you think God feels when our daydreaming, our thoughts are filled with other people, other things, other than him? It is definitely worse than if you were to say to your wife, oh, I'm just daydreaming about some cute girl at work. Can you see that connection? That God is so much greater to to be thinking about other things because what we dream about is the things that are important to us. That we would not be thinking about God. The Egyptians had many gods they worshipped. Who are the gods of Cain Bay? We're going to come back to the Egyptian gods. But who are the gods in Cain Bay or Goose Creek or Somerville, wherever you are? What do we treasure here in Cain Bay? Now, if, of course, the three standard ones work well. They work well everywhere. Money, sex, and power, right? 
Money, sex, and power, right? So under sex, it's a big umbrella. You had to stick a bunch of stuff under that one, right? So certainly pornography, right? If you're, if you're looking at pornography, that's under the umbrella. That is your God, right? That's, that's, on the, that's the bad things you shouldn't be doing, right? That's this side here. Um, okay, what else? If you want to look good, women who want to look good, that can be your God. Men who want to be strong, that can be your God. That's under the sex. And then money, everyone loves money. Another simple diagnostics test. Do you spend more than you should? Oftentimes we use our money. You can tell our gods by looking at your checkbook. How do you spend your money? Now I think power, as I thought about this, I think in a big city, I've lived in some big cities that, and maybe if we're downtown Charleston, I don't know, or Mount Pleasant, maybe it'd be more um, of a, a big draw. Um, but I'm sure for some of you, you're tempted to find your identity in your job title. I don't know if any of you are tempted. That is the God of power, that you would have prestige, respect, and you dream about, if I had that promotion. Okay, so money, sex, power. I think there's at least two more in Cane Bay. We're creative. We add some more. I think another one is comfort. Comfort. Comfort can certainly be an idol. Do you eat more than you should? Do you eat more than you should? Do you spend too much time watching entertainment? Our time, just like our money, shows our gods. Do you delight more in God's word or a good steak, a well-cooked steak? Now, many of us tested this yesterday. Many of you fasted yesterday, and you tested what Jesus said when he said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So we did that. Many of us didn't eat, and we read God's word. Our stomachs hurt. What a surprise. Our stomachs hurt. But we were saying to ourselves, no, look, I'm going to tell you who's boss. Right? I'm not going to just live by the desires of the flesh. We're going to set ourselves apart for one day. We only do it for one day. Couldn't do that for long. We do it for one day and we set it apart for God. Often for many of us in Cane Bay, it is comfort. Maybe not power as much. Maybe comfort. Another big one is our families. Now I know all of you would, none of you would say, my wife is my God or my husband is my God or my kids are my God. But functionally, do we do this? As you think about this, I've thought about this. I had all week to think about this. That's how I could say at the beginning. I'm a functional polytheist. Now, of course, not usually. That's not my desire. And I'm trying to put to death those sins. But there are ways in which I worship my family. That I actually, how could you know this? Okay, if your wife's upset at you and God's pleased with you, what, where are your emotions? Or if you flip-flop those, where are your emotions? What, what often our emotions give away our idolatry, our time, our money, and our emotions. How do I feel? How much do I care? How hard hard do I work to please, how do you work to please your spouse versus, of course, you should please your spouse, but not in an ultimate way. You should should live on your pleasing of God. Same with your kids. What does it look like with our kids? You see, often we see this when there becomes a tension. As long as both can live in happy harmony, you don't know who your gods are. It's when they come crashing together. That's when you know. When there's a conflict between those two. When you've set some time aside and said, I'm going to read the word. And, and your wife or spouse, husband comes and sits down and says, hey, let's talk. Like, well, I have a choice to make. Now I'm at a fork in the road. I'm going to say, could we talk in a little bit? I, I really want to spend some time reading the word. Right? So do you set, is there, do you set time aside for God? Just like you set aside a date time for your wife, do you set a time aside for God? Same with our kids. What if you get a birthday invitation and your kid's really excited about it? They bring it to you and it says, it's Sunday morning. We got a collision, right? 
Because you say, well, we've set aside a time for God, but I want to go, we're going to be in a jump castle, and we're going to be on trampolines, right? It's when these things collide is when you find out where your gods are. And I'm, I'm the same way, that when we see these things where you can't have both of the, in the same way, it is not good for your spouse to be your God. It's not good for your kids to be your God. You actually teach your children something by actually placing them below something that they would realize, no, this time is set aside. I'll be with you in a second. I'm reading my Bible. No, we can't do that because this is more important than that. It's a, a very important lesson, not to mention in our own hearts. I want to ask you a really hard question. What is the thing, if God took from you, you could never imagine being happy again? What is the thing that if God took from you, you could never imagine being happy again? Would you put your spouse on that list? Or your children? Now, are we to love our spouse? Absolutely. Are we to love our children? Absolutely. They are gifts from God. But they are not your God. God is your God. Job had this very situation, didn't he? God took from him his children. And in Job 1, we see his unbelievable response. He says, Then Job arose, tore his robes, shaved his head, fell on the ground. So he's lost everything. He's lost his fortune, everything. His children are all dead. It says he fell on the ground and worshipped. You know the reason he could worship? Because God was first. He had lost everything else, but he still had God. And he was able to worship. He said, naked I came into the, my, from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now I pray that I will never be in that situation. I pray that none of you will be in that situation. But the first commandment requires that he would be first before all others, including our spouse and our children. You see, I've really gotten close to home because this is Cane Bay. This is Goose Creek. This is Somerville, wherever you are. We really prize, even sometimes above power, our families or our comfort. I don't know if you've felt like I'm really struggling to ever make progress in my Christian life. I feel stuck. I just, I can't make any progress. There is a significant chance is because of this. Because of the first commandment. You have other gods, and you're not willing to put to death those gods, and so you can't make but so much progress in your Christian life if you have other gods. And so part of our goal this morning is just realizing and just all coming to the conclusion that you would be able to walk away saying, I am a functional polytheist. Or because you remember that the three uses of the law we talked about last week, one is as a mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yourself. For better or for worse, you see yourself. Right? If your hair is a mess, you see it. This is what we have here. The law of God, part of its function is for you to realize you need a savior. You aren't going to be legalistic and judgmental if you really take an honest look at this because you'll realize, hey, we're all in this together. I started confessing my own sin so that you would realize that you can too. You have to be able to look at the command and say, I have idols. There are other things that I actually prize above God. Until you do that, You've missed out. And one of the saddest examples of this is the life of Solomon. Remember the wisest man, richest man? You know what? He built the temple for God. Unbelievable. Seven years to build the temple. That's a long time. Kids, some of you are barely seven years old. How much of your life was seven years? He spent seven years building it. Do you know how long after he finished that, he spent building his palace? 13 years. You weren't even alive yet. A number of you weren't. 
13 years, seven on God, 13 on himself. Does anyone notice any problem with this? He had, what were his idols? He loved the power and the money. Oh, what's the third? Sex. Anyone know how many wives that man had? Nearly a thousand wives and concubines. Now I know you think that's ridiculous. How could any man lust that much after women? There are likely some of you here, if you've been struggling with pornography for very long, you've had a thousand women. You do the math. It doesn't take that long. There are many who have many, many, many wives. So he had given in to sex, power, and money. And so how did that turn out for Solomon? Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, And whatever my eye desired, I did not keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Yep, that's about right, Solomon. It ended very poorly. If you don't go read the Bible, read the story how it ended. He was worshiping all kind of other gods. So sad. The wisest man ever just fell because he loved these other gods. We are to set apart God. Now, you know what the reality is? Is you really only need this one command. You know what? Why don't we just make this sermon series one week long? You don't need the other nine. It's true. If you will obey this one commandment, you don't need the other nine commandments. You don't need the rest of the Bible. Any other command of God, if you obey this one command, it's only, how many words is it? Kids, you count it. It's less than 10. Have no other gods before me. You would never sin. You would order everything in your life as he desired. Isn't that true? Jesus said that about the greatest commandment. He said, on these two, all the law hangs. And even really the first one covered the second one. If you love God with all your heart, you're really going to love your neighbor. Why do we have nine other ones? We aren't going to stop the series. And you know why? Because we all have hard hearts. Parents, when you leave, do you just tell your kids, just be good and do nothing bad? Just one, one thing. All I want from you is be good, don't do anything bad. I guess that's kind of two. No, you give like lots of instructions. Okay, stay off the TV, no video games, don't eat three servings of ice cream, and I want you to go to bed on time. I want you, right, you give this whole long list. Why? Wouldn't have one just sufficed? Well, no, because your kids aren't going to do very well if you just give them one command, right, kids? You know it's true. You need all those commands because our hearts, our hearts are sinful. My disposition is towards sin, right? It's true of all of us adults too. Our, our moral compass is broken in our hearts. And so we need all these commands. But I just want you to understand, as we set off on this journey through the 10, we really only need one. Um, something, another thing this will be helpful as we go through, if you didn't realize, the commandments are broken down. The first four mainly relate to our duty to God. Look at them and notice it. Hopefully you got that bookmark. If you didn't get it, grab it on your way out. Look at the first four, duty to God. The last six, mainly duty to man. But all that is summarized in the first. It's similar to the greatest command in the second. The greatest is like the first four. The second, love your neighbors yourself, is like the last six. So this, this can be helpful to you. But the, the core issue with all of this is our spiritual heart condition. Okay, so we looked at ourselves long enough. Hopefully by now I've convinced you, you two are idol worshipers like me. So let's look at God, something a little brighter. Secondly, God has a right to be jealous for our love. Let's read our whole passage again, folks. The Lord spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord. This is Yahweh. In your Bibles, it should be in all caps. If you're reading it, I don't know if we got it in the bullets in that way, but it's all caps, L-O-R-D. Whenever you see that, it means Yahweh. It means the personal name of God, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the Jewish name for God. Yahweh, your God. 
I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then what? He begins, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, something that might be missed on you is that you're not Jewish and you weren't there. That first two verses, the historical context is really important to understand what's going on here. Okay, so he said, I I rescued you from Egypt. How did he do that? Well, let's talk about Egypt for a second. They were, they were um, polytheists with a big capital P, okay? They took polytheism to a whole new level. They worshiped the God of the rivers and the streams and darkness and light, and I mean, on and on and on, on. I mean, anything you can imagine, they had a God for it, okay? And so the, the Jews had been born. So think about kids. So you, if, you, if, this was, if we were the Jews coming out of Israel, you would have been born in Egypt. Your parents would have been born in Egypt. Your grandparents would have been born in Egypt. And your great-grandparents would have been born in Egypt. Okay, so after a couple of generations, they've all picked up this idol worship. Okay, now how could God, as he tries to rip his people out of Egypt after hundreds of years of this, could he convince them to leave the gods behind? Any ideas? What could he do? He did something. He did 10 things. They're called plagues. Remember those? The 10 plagues were an intentional effort by God to show who was strong and who wasn't. Who was the real God and who wasn't. Don't take my word for it. Let me read you a verse. This is from, um, uh, so this is Exodus chapter 12. He says, I will pass through, this is talking about the 10th plague. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And listen to this. And on all their gods, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. In, again, in Numbers 33, he says, on the day after the Passover, when he took him out, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn. Imagine that sight, a sad day in Egypt, when the Lord had struck down among them, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also, God had executed judgment. You see, what God did was those plagues were destroying the power that they thought their gods had. The God of the red of the Nile, it turned to blood. Well, so much for that God. It turned to darkness. So much for the God of light. Just on and on. All the plagues were showing that they couldn't stop Yahweh. Yahweh can be, all these gods are, are fictitious gods. You see what God was doing? He was trying to convince his people. Would you leave their gods behind? They aren't real. They have no power. This, this is when he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Have no other gods before me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I crushed their gods. Would you please only worship me? That's what God is saying in this. God, so this is our point now. We're on two. God has a right to be jealous for our love. You know what's interesting about the first commandment? Is this. He says, have no other gods. How many other real gods are there? Like real gods with real power that really exist, that really reign in the universe. There are none. Okay, this is, I'm going to give you, kids, you're going to get a kick out of this. This is a really silly illustration, but it really makes a point. All right. Imagine a desert island, okay? Desert island, there's only two people there, a man and a woman. They're married, okay? Man and woman. The man says to his wife, okay? Honey, I don't want you to treat anyone else like your husband. She starts laughing at him. Why? There's no one else there, right? Don't treat anyone else like your husband. No other man should be your husband. I'm your only husband. I mean, isn't that what the first commandment's saying? Have no other gods before me. There's no other gods out there, right? Isn't that interesting? 
So a man and woman on the way to, he's saying to her, don't treat anyone else like your wife, like your husband, okay? This is what the first commandment's like. It's, it's so weird because there are no other gods. There are no other gods. But this, this is what's so crazy. We'll worship anything. Sex, money, power, kids, spouse, comfort. We're on that island. There's no one else but our spouse. And yet we're finding anything to bow down to. You know what kids would be like? Okay, imagine that couple. The guy can't find his wife. And he, for a couple days, he's like, what happened to my wife? He finally finds her. And he says, hey, where have you been? He gives him a stiff arm. says, excuse me, I'm with my husband. There's no one else on the island. Holds out her, her pet snail. This is my husband. That's ridiculous, isn't it? This crazy woman says that her husband is a snail. Now, as crazy as that is, that is what you and I do. We do it all the time. We're on an island. There's no other gods here. That's the whole reason for all the plagues. There's no other gods here. It's just me. It's just Yahweh. And yet we are so fickle, so broken. We will bow down to anything and call it our God. Even a pet snail. It's crazy, but it's true. Jeremiah 2.13 says this. I love this verse. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Do you know a cistern is, kids? If you have an in-ground pool, that's kind of like a cistern. But imagine it being cracked, okay? And water's just gushing out of it all the time. And so you just keep trying to fill it up. That's what people would do. That's the way they stored water. They'd, they'd dig a hole, they'd line it with clay, and that was their cistern. Okay, so he's comparing that to a fountain. What does a fountain do? It just gushes over water, right? All the time, a natural fountain. Right? It just, it's always pouring out water. And so he's saying, I'm a fountain, and you guys have these broken cisterns. Have you guys heard of the law of diminishing returns? The law of diminishing returns proves broken cisterns. Let me give you some questions. How much Netflix do you have to watch to satisfy your heart? Like, if you binge watch, do you ever get to the point where you're like, now I'm full. I just feel full and happy inside. No, you might be blurry-eyed, but you aren't full and happy inside. We've already touched on it. How much money do you have to have that you would just feel satisfied? I don't need any more. I am satisfied. How much pornography would you have to look at to be satisfied? My heart is full. I don't want to look at another woman. How much food, Starbucks, dessert would you have to eat for you to say, my heart is satisfied. I, I don't need any other treats ever. You see, there's a law of demission. You need to go back to it. That's why addictions are, right? You keep going back and back and back because it is a broken cistern. It's never going to give you life. You pour into it, it's, it's constantly leaking. That's what it is. So the contrast, think of that broken cistern. God is like a fountain. God has a right to be jealous for your love and it's to your benefit. You don't want a snail. He's saying, I'm better. I'm better. He tried to show it through the plagues. He said, I'm better. I'm better than anything else you could give your heart and your life to. You know what's even cooler is we've been delivered from something bigger than that, bigger than Exodus. You know, we didn't get broken free from slavery in Egypt. What slavery were you broken? If you're a Christian today, what slavery, slavery were you broken free from? Sin and death and hell. That's a big thing, isn't it? Boy, it makes the Exodus look pretty small, doesn't it? See, you could read these verses 
Here, look at the passage again. You could say, read it in this way, as a, as a New Testament Christian. I, he is the Lord your God who brought you out from slavery to sin and death and hell. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you see that it is a much bigger thing that you have to rest your weight on, to say, of course, he has a right to be jealous for my love. Notice the last two words of the first commandment. It says before me. Does he mean like, well, you can, you can have other gods, just not before me, right? This is kids, this is the way you remember the first commandment? Or you hold up one finger? God's number one, and there's no number two. It's not that God wants to be just number one. He wants to be the only one. The only God. Before me could literally be translated before my face or in my presence. So then it would read, you shall have no other gods in my presence. Worshiping a false God is like insulting God to his face. Insulting God to his face. Now wives, now you get to be in the hot seat. Imagine you're at dinner with your husband. He take you out to a nice restaurant and all of a sudden you start flirting with the waiter. Husbands, how are you feeling? She's making eyes with him, making conversation with him. How are you feeling? Like, I took you on a date, and this is how it's going to go. Right? Isn't that ridiculous? Right in front of me. Like, I'm sitting right across from me, and you're flirting with this waiter. You are, to have no other gods before me, you are always in the presence of God. The reason you don't realize, and I often don't realize, my um, idol worship is because we compartmentalize. You do your best Sunday morning to really focus on God for one hour. That's good. Many of you start your days reading the Bible. That's really good. And you try to focus in that time, make, give God your whole mind and attention, stay awake, right? And some of you are reading the Bible with your family at dinner. That's great. And you try to get your kids to pay attention. You're paying attention. What about the rest of the time? Are you not before God the rest? See, this command, those last two words, before me, is saying you are always before me. Late at night on your computer, kids, when your parents aren't around, your door is shut, God is right there. That could be both a comfort or a terror, right? Depends on what you're doing. If you're not obeying, if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you are always before God. If you have anything you love more than God, there is no time you aren't before him. This is very important that we see that we're always before him. The reality is you are always on a date with God. You're always on a date with God. If you're going to flirt with a waiter, just realize you're doing it with God sitting there right beside you. Every other thing we love more than him is idolatry. Okay, so very briefly, third, you are the bride of Christ. You remember the Old Testament prophet Hosea? We talked to him last week. Boy, he had a swell marriage, didn't he? You remember Gomer? He had, God told him to marry a prostitute. So he marries the prostitute. How does that work out? Not well, right? Because soon he run, the, Gomer runs back to her old lovers. What does Gomer do? Does he file for divorce? If you guys know the story, no. What we talked about last week. He goes after her and he buys her back. I mean, if you're a husband, just imagine that. But he loved his wife so much, he went and he bought her back. God loves you. Even as you run, as you prostitute yourself to other gods, God loves you. You are the bride of Christ. He runs after you. It wasn't just with money. He can't buy you with money. He had to buy you with the life of his son. Jesus had to die. The only way to get you back. This should be an encouragement to us. As you understand, so remember first we look at the law and it's a mirror. And it's not pretty when we look at it, right? But it's also a map. 
a map that says, now that you are, he's bought you, he's paid, he's brought you back. But we are so prone to run back to lovers, aren't we? We're practical idol worshipers, if we're honest with ourselves. And that it would, his love for us would say, I want to live my life best I can with less gods than I had yesterday, less idolatry than I had yesterday. It is a map to show you this is how to live. God gave you this because he loves you. He loves you. He knows that you will be happy with no one else. No snail is going to satisfy. You need God. You need God. You know what he said in verse 2? I am the Lord, your God. Is God your God? Is he your God? If he is your God, then this really matters. If he is your God, this really matters. God wants to be your only God. He wants to be the one that you daydream about. Daydreaming about the day of your wedding. Tell me that not every bride does not daydream about the day of her wedding. One day you are, you're the bride of Christ. You'll be married to the Lord. One day you'll be with him. Remember the song we sang? All sickness will be gone. Everything will be right. We should be daydreaming about that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Walking with him through every moment of your day. God, like Hosea, is chasing you. I want you to walk away this morning being reminded of his love for you, his perfect love for you. As you see yourself more clearly, it's not pretty. It wasn't pretty for myself. I had to study this this week. But it brings comfort to know, and you still love me? I'm this ugly and you still love me. Yes, he still loves you. He loves you enough to die for you and keeps pursuing you as we keep running to other things. Oh, that we'd be satisfied with giving him all of our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's uncomfortable uh, looking at your law. Um, I pray that it was for them. Um, for their good, not uncomfortable for their, their harm, but rather for their good, that they would be convicted like I am, that they are a functional polytheist, that they are an idol worshiper. But yet you love them, and you delight in them. You rejoice over them with singing. Oh, they would understand how amazing your love is when they get a better picture of their own hearts. Lord, I pray that for all of us, and that it would woo us to, to, to lay aside more of our gods, to worship less, other gods, that we would daydream more about you, and we'd flirt with less waiters and pretend that snails aren't our, our spouse. Lord, we need your help with that. I pray that you do this for your glory. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.